Hello and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 134 and today's episode, Managing Big Emotions, I am going to dig a little deeper into a subject matter, which is the single most listened to topic I ever talk about, whether that's in person at schools or on the podcast. Did you know that the episode, I think it was episode one of the podcast was managing big emotions. It is the single most downloaded episode that I have recorded to date. And it got me thinking that there's so much more that I could dig into because when we typically think about managing big emotions, we possibly tend to think about maybe tantrums or children and teens getting really angry. But actually, to me, emotions are the fundamentals. They're like the the foundations on which all things hang. You know, when we talk about children who are lacking in confidence, who, who are shy or who are anxious or who are angry, all of it is hinged around emotions. So that's why we're going to do this particular episode. But before I start, I am going to make a request. And the request is a really big ask. Well, actually, it's not a big ask. It's a small ask. But I know sometimes it's the small asks that can be finding time to do that. And my ask is for you just to take the time to rate and actually write a review about the podcast. I know so many of you, because I get the emails each week, love the podcast and find it really helpful. And in fact, I also know that you share the episodes because Spotify, when it, whilst it gives you, if you listen to music on Spotify, will wrap your music content. It also does it for us as podcast listeners and those who produce podcasts. I know that you share these episodes. And in fact, Managing Emotions is one of the most shared. And I know that you share it on your WhatsApp too. So what I would be eternally grateful for And it really doesn't take very long, but it's that opportunity for you to review the podcast because I know you're enjoying them and I know you find the tips really helpful. And by taking just that short period of time to review the podcast, even in small words or long words, it's up to you what you what you do. What that does is it makes it so much easier for how not to screw up your kids to appear in people's feeds as a suggested possible podcast that they might find helpful. So I'm happy to pause for a moment while you just quickly go and rate and review the podcast because that just helps us appear to others who might then find the podcast really helpful and get the same top tips that you are. So now I will start. So how do we help our children and our teens manage these big emotions? And for me, by big emotions, I'm talking about anything from anger, frustration, annoyance, fear, worry, stress, overwhelm, embarrassment, yet you name it. It's all of the re- it's all of the emotions. And I really genuinely feel this area is probably the most influential on our children's well-being, not only in their childhood, but also their adulthood and the most impactful on their ability to tackle those difficulties and the challenges as they go on. I mean, let's face it, so much of our life and the decisions that we make are fundamentally rooted in our feelings. We often think that as human beings that we have logic and problem solving and that we reason and we make our decisions based on the best things for us. Rubbish, tosh, 
We don't make decisions based on what's best for us. We make decisions based on feelings. We buy things, we apply for things, we put ourselves forward for things, always based on our feelings. So it is so important that we equip our children by really focusing in on these big emotions. So I want to tackle it in a very belts and braces approach. I've tackled this before in episode one, but this is a much more refined belts and braces that will cover all sorts. So I want to give you some context, which I want you to approach supporting your children. It's something I want you to come back to time and time again when you find yourself at your wits end and pulling your hair out, either because your child or your teens are being rude, they're out of control with their feelings, maybe they're lashing out or bottling things up, or they're not talking about their feelings, or they're being overwhelmed and anxious. I want you to keep coming back to this context. And the context is important to ground us so that we can take the best course of action. And it's rooted in four simple principles. So I'm going to talk about the context. But what we're then going to do is I want to talk about your child's world of emotions. And then we're going to talk about what do you do in the moment? And what do you do afterwards? So it, it genuinely is this is like a bumper episode around all of these areas, but not bumper in terms of duration. It's just a bumper in that I want to really cover all sorts of areas. And I really want it to be an episode that you keep coming back to. And for it to be an episode that you can you share as much as possible, because this is the root of so many challenges that we face as parents and so many challenges our children do. So the biggest thing that I would say about managing children and teens' big emotions is being able to keep pulling yourself back to these simple principles. And the first one is behavior is a choice which is driven by an emotion, good and not so good. Yeah, our behavior, the root of all of the choices that we make are around around emotions. And what I would say is it's, it is this context of being able to remember that the beha- behavior is a choice. We choose whether we rant and rave and lash out. We choose whether we withdraw and don't talk. These are all choices that we make. And that's what that's the important and the, one of the really crucial aspects of what we speak to our children about is all emotions are valid. It's the behavioral choice that underpins it that we want to help and support our children to make better and wiser and more appropriate choices for them as we go on. So that's the first thing that we need to remember is behavior is a choice. It is driven by an emotion. Number two, behavior is an output of your child's current inner world. And it's really crucial that we remember that because we so often focus on the behavior, the answering back, the rudeness, the shouting, the door slamming, and we forget to see it as simply a window into our child's inner world. That behavior that we see is the outside but we really need to be digging into the inside. So behavior is a choice. It's an output of our child's inner world. And the third one of the principles is reminding ourselves in those moments to look beyond the behavior, the outside, and really to try and center ourselves in responding to the emotion that is behind the behavioral choice. So that's a really crucial when we move on to looking at how do we manage the emotion, how do we manage in the moment when our children 
or our teens experience these, these big emotions and how do we deal with it afterwards. I just want you to keep remembering and keep yourself centred in these co the context that I'm talking about because it makes a massive difference to us responding in a way that is not inflammatory, that doesn't amplify and, and make the situation even more challenging to deal with, but tries to minimise the situation in the moment. And then the, the fourth one is our children cannot and will not self-regulate if we are not regulated ourselves. So let me just explain this one in a little bit more detail. And we're pulling together a resource that will hopefully help you understand the dynamics of this particular thing. When our children experience a big emotion and they make a poor choice in that moment, they are unregulated. Their emotions are unregulated. They're not making the best choice. If their unregulated emotion is met by our unregulated emotion, well, We've all been in that situation and we know that the end result is not pretty. However, if our child in their unregulated moment is met by a self-regulated parent, doesn't mean that we can't be seething and frustrated and hurt underneath, but in the moment we respond in a way that is self-regulated, what we can then do is we can then seek to co-regulate so our self-regulation can begin to help regulate together our child's big emotion. And over time, what then happens if we can continue to do that more often than not, parenting is not perfect, it is not beautiful, and there are times where we meet their unregulated with our unregulated. It's not always, we're not always going to get it right. But if we can demonstrate it most of the time and meet their unregulation with our self-regulation, over a period of time, we then co-regulate, which eventually then leads with the right tools and strategies and the work that we do after that big emotion is experienced, the work that we do afterwards in the education piece, we move our child to then becoming self-regulated. So again, they can make good choices most of the time. It's not going to be all of the time. I've got decades on your young children and I'm not always self-regulated. So it's about trying to be able to be regulated most of the time. And that fourth point is a really, really crucial one. So when we start looking at how do we do things in the moment and how do we do the education piece afterwards, it's really important that we keep those four principles in mind. Behavior is a choice. It's an output of our child's inner world. We need to remember that we respond to the emotion behind the behavior, not the behavior itself, and that our children will not be regulated if we are unregulated ourselves. Before I move into the practical, what do we do in the moment, and then the education piece that I've, I've talked about, I just want to give you a bit of a context into your child's world of emotions. And I'm just doing it in a very dichotomous two bits. So when we're talking about younger children, remember that children do not develop in an easy, straight path when we're talking about the various aspects of their development. I've talked a lot about this idea that we should talk about the stage of development, not the age of development. Children develop at different ways. So you may well have a child who's nine years old. Their chronological age is nine years old. And their language, their command of language and their ability to communicate Goodness me, you'd think you were talking to a 15-year-old. 
So I've got a nine-year-old whose language skills, their communication and their vocabulary makes them feel considerably older than their years. But I can also have a nine-year-old who can speak beautifully and eloquently, communicate wonderful concepts. But in terms of their regulation of their emotions, actually that developmental really is like a five or a six-year-old. So if you can imagine if in this particular situation, which is not uncommon, we can have children with various different profiles, and I'm only picking up on two areas, communication and language and their emotional age. But if you've got a child who we, we're speaking to almost as if we're speaking to an adult, but emotionally, their ability to self-regulate, understand their emotions, make good choices is a good three years, let's say, let's give them a, a sort of a developmental age emotionally of a six-year-old compared to their language. We're talking about a nine-year age gap. So it's remembering that, you know, their emotions are very, very raw and that children do not sort of develop in this really straightforward that every single aspect of them is exactly the same or that they, you know, when you're nine years old, you should behave like X and Y across the board. That simply isn't the case. So you need to be thinking about if you've got a child who's struggling to manage big emotions, whether they're 17 or whether they're three, it's going to be different depending on their developmental stage. So just remember that. So younger children, their emotions are raw and they are learning what they are and how best to react to these big emotions. And please don't get caught up in this trap about their X age and therefore they should be behaving like Y. So this is the perfect time when our children are, have a young developmental age with their emotions to do the right groundwork. Yeah, so what our children learn in these early years will become their habit and their blueprint. Now, obviously, we can still unpick anything that becomes an, you know, an undesirable blueprint, but it's remembering that when we're talking about the world of emotions for younger children, it's very much in that raw state and remembering this difference between the developmental and the chronological age. Now, for teens, and we can talk about tweens, it's basically, it's happening at all sorts of ages. So again, for teens, I'm not going to say to you, teens are 13. They're not. We could, Teens could be 10. You know, we're all aware of this, but the teen years are riddled with some form of angst. Angst and anxieties around fitting in, being accepted, who they are, you know, who they know, working out all of these things and how they compare to others. These are a really crucial aspect to those teen years. It's characterized by all teens. And whilst in the past, our teens may well have been supremely robust and massively confident, when they hit these particular periods of time, their emotions can be very raw. And we know that what's happening as well is there's big changes in their brain structure. And so the sort of the logical problem solving aspect that we think, oh my goodness me, you've got the years of experience on you now. Why are you not thinking and making good choices? It's because I like to think that the scaffolding is up. And so basically that problem solving area of the brain isn't always an area that they fully access. So we just need to remember this context. Remember developmental age, not chronological age. Young children are learning vocabulary around language and how to make best choices. Teens are now dealing with a whole other whole host of other areas about this idea about how do they fit in amongst others, fitting in, being liked, being accepted. A very quick reminder of my upcoming 60 Minutes with Dr. Mary Han 
on the 3rd of January, 2024. The topic is all about how do we build confidence in our children and our teens. So this is a super, super practical workshop. I'll be sharing all of my top tips along with the workbook so that you can help and support your child or teen in terms of building their confidence, but also come armed with all of your questions because I'll be answering them and helping you to be able to build that. Tickets are on sale. They are just £8 and you can click on the link in order to buy your tickets and either attend live or catch the recording. And if you're listening to this podcast episode a little while after the date of this, know that you can always purchase a recording and that there will be a new 60 Minutes with Dr. Mary Han each month. I look forward to seeing you there. Let's move to the practical. What do we do in the moment? Now, what I want to remind you again is we want to respond to the emotion behind the behavior rather than the behavior. And really, if we're being brutally honest, in the moment, it's about damage limitation and not reasoning. It really, it's just not helpful. Just don't go there. It's just not going to work. The reasoning comes later. In the moment, we're responding to the emotion behind the behavior and we're trying to limit the damage and the fallout. The first thing that we need to do is name the emotion. So you might use language like, I wonder if you might be feeling X. Yeah, we rarely feel just one emotion. So try and give more than one to help them learn this too. Yep. So I wonder if you might be feeling angry with yourself, possibly a little bit of embarrassment. Now use the right language with your child, which doesn't pour petrol on the flame. We know that labelling emotions helps. It's this whole notion of name it to tame it by Dan Siegel. So find a way which works for your child and your teen. The idea behind naming it to tame it is by naming it, we are engaging the front part of our brain, which is the logic and the problem solving rather than the emotional centre. And so that by naming it, you're sort of disrupting that sort of emotional part. But we have to do it in a way which our child is likely or our teen is likely to accept, which is why postulating and sort of I wonder if you might be feeling is some for some children and teens works much better than I can see that you are feeling. But for some children, I can see that or you are feeling is better because they find it easier if they just if you're being sort of concrete. And again, that's not an age or an age specific. It's simply a child specific. So we have to kind of find a way that is bespoke and works for our child. If you are trying these strategies for the very first time, you have to just go in with something. Don't overthink it too much. Try something and learn. See what happens. You can always go back to it as part of the education piece. So when we're looking at emotions, you have to have the bit around what do we do in the moment and running parallel to you managing the what you do in the moment. You have to run in parallel an education piece. Say, how do we do it differently next time? Helping your child scaffolding their vocabulary, their emotional vocabulary and their toolkit. So we're doing both at the same time. It's not like you're doing one and then you do the other. But obviously in the moment, you have to deal with something and if you're coming to this for the very first time and you're making a conscious decision, I want to do things differently, you have to start. So try whichever language you think might work for your child. And if it completely explodes, then you know 
that you'll try something different and you can that's something you can debrief as part of the education piece. So we're naming the emotion. The next thing, and this is a really crucial thing, is that we need to allow our child or our teen to work through and experience that emotion in a safe space. We do not want to take that feeling away from them. One of the really important things that we need to consider is that we do not want to trade our children's feelings for something else. So we want to avoid language such as stop being so angry. You don't need to worry about things like that. Please don't get upset. Everything will be fine. A lot of these things we say out of love. We don't never say these things out of just being brutally unkind. But what we do know is that children who are able and capable and manage those big emotions and are able to be confident and feel less overwhelmed and anxious in situations are basically children and teens who have learned to become very robust around their emotions. It's not that they don't experience it, but they know what's the best way to navigate it themselves. And when we try and trade our children's emotions for dot, 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 you name it, whether it's a, an easing or a, a we bribe them with some television, we bribe them with a d- digital device, we bribe them with sweets, we bribe them with things, anything to avoid them sort of sitting in that big emotion. We do them a massive disservice. What's crucial by allowing our children to work through that emotion and experience it fully is we're helping them learn that emotions come and go. Some emotions are more intense and they take longer and some emotions are less intense. But if we trade it, then we're really trying to kind of, we're creating a scenario where our children never experience an emotion fully, that they then learn a whole host of what we call maladaptive strategies. Like I'm going to numb this feeling and get rid of it in any which way that I can which is ultimately not helpful for them as they become adults. So we really want to help them feel that in a in a safe space. So we want to avoid the sort of language where we try and take any of it away. If anyone needs to be moved in that moment where they're experiencing the big the big feeling, it should be you or their siblings, etc., and not the child nor the teen who's experiencing that big emotion. So you might want to use language around them being safe to work through their feelings. It's all right to be angry or upset. I'm here when you're ready. These are big feelings. We want to allow them to experience that. Now, of course, it can be more difficult when we're in a public space. Absolutely. It's much more difficult. But I do think it's really important that we allow our children to be able to fully experience that feeling Please don't send your child away. I know there's something that we we tend to do because it's almost like their behavior is inappropriate and we're worried about other children. It's much better to take the siblings away from that scenario. It's really important that Ben works through his big feelings right now. He's feeling really overwhelmed. And one of the ways that we can do that is allowing him that space to do that. Why don't you go here and do X, Y and Z while Ben works through it? So we remove the other children rather than remove the child. And then the third thing that we do in that big moment is remember that they are unregulated in that moment. You getting angry because they're being rude, they're throwing things, they're being unkind to siblings, they're slamming, whatever it is that they're doing, you getting angry and meeting their fire with yours won't help. If you need to take care of yourself to re-regulate your emotions, 
do that and return, but articulate that. I'm really struggling with my feelings right now in helping you. I'm going to just take myself off and go and get a glass of water and I'll be back because you're safe. So it's being able to understand that you're better off removing yourself from that situation, gathering yourself, re-regulating, re-grounding yourself than staying in that situation and allowing things to just get massively out of hand for both of you. So let's just recap what we do in the moment. We name the emotions because the idea about naming it to tame it helps shift it. We allow them to work through and experience that in emotion in a safe space. If you're going to remove anyone, it's everybody else, not your child or teen. And the third is remember that they are unregulated. If you need to remove yourself in order to re-regulate and self-regulate yourself, you do that and then you go back. So that's what we do in the moment. Now, concurrently, we must be running an education piece. And this comes afterwards because remember emotions are centered in the primitive part of our brain and not the reasoning logical center at the front now what i would say is we need to recognize because we want to go back to what's happened and we want to recognize that children don't often like to go back and talk about what has happened because it takes them right back to that uncomfortable feeling which they had and they often feel that when we want to talk about that big feeling and what they did that they're going to be told off So we need to approach it carefully and framing it around learning for you to react better and be a better support next time than them being the problem. Yeah, we can be magnanimous in taking the blame if it helps our child in the long run. So let's not allow this to become a power dynamic when it really doesn't have to be. Okay, yes, your child has made a poor choice. Your child has slammed doors. They've said unkind things. But let's be super magnanimous in this situation so that we can pull them back in and have a conversation. So there are three things that we need to be doing from the education piece. The first one is about talking about what has happened previously. So you can use language that my I've noticed is my favorite to introduce these sorts of things. It's, I've noticed that you get frustrated with yourself when you make a mistake, or you feel so scared and overwhelmed when you have to go somewhere new, or you don't always know what to do with those big feelings. It's almost as if someone or something takes over you and you don't feel in control. Then you can say things like, I don't know how best to help. Next time, how might I be able to better help you? So we're really approaching it, always approach it from the, what can I do better to help? I felt as if I didn't know what to do. I could see you having these big emotions and I felt helpless. Really start with you because that really solidifies this. We're not here in a finger pointing, finger blaming perspective. This is a conversation, an adult to adult conversation about how can I better show up for you? Then we ask, once we've got that piece about what we can do, what do you think you could do to help yourself in that moment? How might you respond to it differently next time? So it's really, it's talking about and unpicking it and then looking at how you might be able to help and respond differently next time, how they might be able to. That's the first thing. The other thing that we should be doing regularly is around talking about emotions, full stop, good and not so good. So we often, when we talk about emotions, we often tend to focus our education piece on the difficult emotions. And what we forget to do is talk about the good ones too. So let's talk about all emotions, how they make us feel, where they show up in our body, how that affects us. 
You know, children will often feel big emotions in their stomachs or they'll talk about feeling it in their head. You know, some children will feel it when they get angry, they really feel it in their fists or their tension in their shoulders. So it's really having those conversations about emotions in a really broad sense. You know, emotions impact us in so many different ways. And yet we often just simply focus on the behavioral choice rather than all of the other side to it. So it's really talking about that, but also talking about our emotions too and how we manage them and the choices that we make and labeling it and where it's showing up in our body because when we do that it just becomes something else that we talk about in the same ways we talk about what we've done with our day or the food that we like to eat or what we're hoping you know our aspirations or the books that we're reading so it's making a discussion around emotions as something that just happens it's natural it's normal it's something that you talk about every day And then the third one is about building up their toolkit and have it somewhere that they can dip in and out of regularly. You want it to be something in their everyday life and not something which is rarely used or in the bottom of a cupboard or not easily accessible or something that you did in one of the holidays, but you never go back to it. You know, building a toolkit is about understanding that we require different tools for different tasks. And some tools work brilliantly in one in one day on one specific task, and then they're just not helpful in another. So it's really being open around needing different tools for different situations and that sometimes the go-to tool might not work in that situation. And that doesn't mean we throw the tool out of the toolkit. We just recognize that it didn't help and maybe next time have a reflection on why it didn't help and what we could do differently next time. It's really This toolkit aspect is a really important piece because if we're talking about emotions all of the time, then always at the top of our head about what else could we put in our toolkit? How else might we then be able to access things that might be useful? So that's a really important piece. So we're running both concurrently. So my give this week is going to be a summary of all of the things that we've talked about, the context piece, which is really, really important, but also what do we do in the moment? And then what do we run concurrently in terms of the education piece? I want you to remember of of all things specifically that you take away from this particular podcast is that this is a work in progress. Children and become teens who become adults who are constantly having to work out how to manage those big emotions. We as parents are still trying to work out how to manage our big emotions. So this is not going to be an overnight fix. Or you may have a a child that's really struggling with their big emotions. And from this podcast episode, you're able to put in some really great things in place and you notice some big shifts. But recognize that it will unravel again another stage of their development because we're always We're human beings that respond to our emotions. We're not these logical, rational beings that we think we are. So accept that this is going to be an area that you're going to be working on indefinitely. And that's great because you're equipping them for adult life. So if you want to head over to the bumper resource, then go ahead and do that. Just head over to the usual link, which is drmaryhan.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my other podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you didn't do it already. Please go and do that now. If you could follow, rate and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. 